Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of my newest podcast, The Mental Health Check, where we take a break and check in on ourselves. My name is Courtney Richards. I'm a junior communication studies major with a double minor in digital marketing and media and culture studies at Westchester University of Pennsylvania, who loves to help people. Mental health has always played a significant part in my life, and I've always wanted to help others understand it better, hence the creation of this project. Well, enough about me. Let's dive into what we came here for. On today's episode of the Mental Health Check, we are going to be talking about what mental health is, the different types of mental health disorders there are, and we'll dive a little bit deeper into body dysmorphic disorder and where students and individuals can find resources. Who better to discuss all this with than Westchester University's Dr. Michelle Pohl. Hello, Dr. Pohl. How are you doing today? I'm really well, Courtney. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. That is so great to hear. I'm so honored to have you on today's podcast. Um, so before we begin, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. I'm happy to. So I'm a clinical psychologist and I currently am the director of Westchester University's Community Mental Health Services Clinic. This is a training clinic for the students, the doctoral students in the PsyD program at Westchester University. And part of their training is to do a practicum experience at the clinic where we provide high quality therapy and testing services for a pretty low cost to people in the community. I did provide direct care. I worked as a psychologist for a number of years, specializing in addiction, in trauma disorders, and in eating disorders. And I've been really happy to be a part of the clinic in a more administrative role, but also supervising the, the doctoral students who are essentially the clinicians in the, in the clinic here. Wow, that is absolutely incredible. You have so many years of experience. You know, you're helping so many people along the way. It's really, really incredible. All right, well, Dr. Pohl, let's dive into our discussion. Sure. So let's talk a little bit about mental health. Um, for anyone who hasn't really heard about it or, you know, understands it, you know, what is mental health? So I want to share the mental health definition um, developed by the World Health Organization. And what they say is it's a state of well-being in which an individual realizes his or her own abilities can cope with the normal stressors of life, can work productively and fruitfully, and is able to make a contribution to his community. So that's what mental health is. It also includes our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. Mental health affects how we think and feel and act. It also helps determine how we handle stress, how we relate to other people, and how we make choices. So it's really important at every stage of life from childhood on up to adolescence and adulthood. And over the course of our lives, mental health problems can come up and affect our thinking, our mood, our behavior. And some of the factors that contribute to mental health problems or mental illness include biological factors, our genes or brain chemistry. Our life experiences, too, can contribute to mental health problems. So things like abuse or trauma. And our family history plays a big role in mental health problems we may develop later in life. So that's sort of two sides of the same coin. We have mental health and we have mental illness. 
you know, how has it changed over time? You know, I know at one point there's supposed to be a start where you, you know, discover what this actually is, but I feel like over the past few years, it's changed greatly over time, like the acceptance, the knowledge of it. You know, how have you seen, you know, mental health, the stigma behind it change over time? That's a great question. And although it has changed a great deal, it still hasn't changed enough. There's still a huge stigma associated with someone who has a psychiatric diagnosis and different diagnoses can have different types of stigma associated with them. So when we think of people who have addiction problems, we also often think of somebody laying in the gutter, you know, who's dirty and and can't function in the world. But the truth is there are a lot of alcoholics in the world who do function. We think of people with schizophrenia in, in a very negative um, way. Um, so although mental health issues have been brought into the light and aren't as stigmatized, they still do carry stigma associated with them. And uh, it's often seen as a weakness or a defect in an individual. But the truth is nobody chooses to have a mental health. The good news though is that we have better treatments, more effective medication over the last 50 or more years. And as more people realize that there's no shame in asking for help, these treatments and therapy therapies can really be helpful to manage symptoms, develop greater mental health and live happier lives. Right. And this is obviously not something you can fix with the snap of your fingers. It's, you know, unfortunately something that you have to work on throughout the course of your life, correct? Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, very unusual, I would say quite rare for mental health disorder to spontaneously remit. That's not typically how that works. Right. We wish it, there, it was a way, but right. <laughs> unfortunately yeah. it's not. Exactly. Is there a certain demographic uh, that is more affected by mental health than others? Yeah, the patterns of mental health in our in our country are, are, are kind of interesting. And in 2019, there was a survey done by the National Survey on Drug Use and Health. And what they found was that one in five adults meet criteria for at least one mental health disorder. That's a lot of people, one in five people. We all know more than five people probably. So at least one of your friends, probably more, struggles with a mental health issue. And it also varies by age, by gender and race. So people who are between age 18 and 25 have higher rates of mental health disorders compared to adults or older adults. And if you think about it, this is a college age population. So women also have higher rates of mental illness, 24.5% compared to men, 16.3%. Part of this could be that women present for help more than men do. So men may be underdiagnosed, and that may be one way to explain that difference. Additionally, we see that people of multiple races, so multi-race individuals reporting two or more races had higher rates of mental illness. Next would be Caucasian individuals. So there definitely are differences by gender. But in general, mental health issues span all ages, races, and genders. So no one is impermeable from this, from this problem. For someone who might not have a mental health issue, what are some signs and symptoms generally that they should look for in others who might not even know that they have mental health illness? They can help 
you know, how can they help that struggling individual? That's a really great question. And when I think about that, I think that the biggest, biggest sign of a problem is when you see a person whose way they are in the world changes significantly. So if you have a friend and they start acting not like themselves, that might be your biggest tip off that there's something going on here. So some of the things you might look for are, are they avoiding doing things that they used to enjoy doing? Is their, is their mood different? Do they seem sad all the time? They seem like they don't enjoy anything anymore. Another thing might be, do they use certain behaviors in excess? Do they drink too much? Are they eating more than usual? Are they not eating at all? So any significant changes. Another big one is isolating. So avoiding their friends, avoiding doing things that they used to really enjoy doing. There are so many signs, but like I said, probably the most significant thing to look for is are they acting significantly differently than they did? So that might be the start of a conversation. Right. Sometimes you don't really notice those things off the bat um, until you're with that person, you know, in that one-on-one setting. All right. So now that we discussed what mental health is on a broader scale, uh, let's dive into it a little deeper. I know that there are multiple disorders in the mental health community, uh, but could you talk about just a few of the different types that there are? Yeah, and you are right. There are a range of disorders. The most common thing that we see um, as, as therapists, the most common things that we see are people with anxiety disorders and depression. But these two disorders are often associated with other disorders. So things like PTSD and other trauma disorders, addiction disorders, eating disorders. I think people are fairly familiar with these, broadly speaking. There are other disorders that are less common, and these are disorders that have symptoms of psychosis, like schizophrenia. And bipolar disorder also can be another very debilitating disorder. So it's very hard to say these are certain signs you should look for in mental illness because the disorders have such a range of symptoms associated with them. And I know we kind of touched on this earlier regarding the demographics of, you know, who it affects, but in your opinion, are college students more susceptible to mental health issues than others? Being that I am a college student now, that's always something that is you know, stuck with me. I've always wondered it. Um, are college students more susceptible to mental health That's issues? a great question too. And it's not a simple answer. It depends on your genetics because some people are genetically predisposed to a risk for mental health issue, which doesn't mean they definitely will develop it. It just means that they're at higher risk than someone who doesn't have a mental health issue in terms of genetics or family history. But generally speaking, the age at which students come to college, that's the age at which many of the mental illnesses begin. So 50% of all mental illness begins by age 14. And by age 24, about 75% of mental illness is is actually triggered and, and apparent. And because of this, college students are at a critical age where mental health issues are likely to emerge just in general. And add to that the stress of college, of working, financial concerns, social pressure. So yes, I would say that college students are at greater risk for the onset of mental health issues for 
the stress involved, but also the age that they're coming to college. Of your knowledge, you know, without disclosing too much, um, what are some of the common mental health disorders you feel um, college students have? I know you work with Westchester University and you've had some experience with, you know, individuals with mental health disorders. So what do you feel the most common health illness sure. college students. So at the clinic, we, we see some college students, yes, and oftentimes they're presenting with anxiety disorders, depressive disorders, and these disorders can be triggered by the stressors that I mentioned, you know, the, the pressure of getting good grades, the stress of studying. The other thing that students present with are uh, relationship problems because this is and, and relationship problems are not mental health issues, but they can be complicated by mental illness. So making relationships more difficult and problematic. So uh, substance use disorders too are at higher rates in college students. And I think that Westchester is really fortunate to have a really good counseling center here for students. And a counseling center also offers support groups and topics that are of most concern for college students. Right. I really do love our center here um, for the reasons you said before. Um, really, a supportive group on campus that I feel not a lot of students necessarily know about or utilize if yeah. they really do need it. But we'll talk a little bit about that more towards the end of our uh, discussion here. Before we get into that, I wanted to cover one more topic, which is body dysmorphia thing I feel is most common in adolescents, teenagers, um, college students amongst the uh, world of technology that we have right now um, is body dysmorphia. Could you explain what sure. BD is? Yeah, so there's, I want to differentiate it from something that we call body dissatisfaction. And to some degree, most of us have something about our bodies that we don't love. But body yeah. dysmorphia is a very extreme form of body dissatisfaction to the point that it is a mental health disorder. And what happens is you can't stop thinking about one or more perceived defect about your appearance. So the flaw that is really objectively minor that other people can't see seems monumental and huge to the person with BD. They feel uh, ashamed and embarrassed. They might even avoid people and social situations because they're so obsessed with this, per there's this perceived defect in their body. They may engage in a lot of checking behaviors, spend a lot of time in front of the mirror grooming or asking for reassurance from people in their lives. And the thing that really differentiates this as a mental health disorder is the, the amount of time spent thinking about it and focusing on it in a day to the point that it impacts their ability to function in the world, to, to get good grades, to spend time with friends, you know, to be able to, to put everything they can into their job and their lives. So it has an impact on, on their daily life. Insecurities kind of become a tunnel vision where it's all that you can see, it's all you can think about and fixate about until like, like you said, it becomes a problem with your everyday life, you know, school, work, right. relationships, right. et cetera. And like, like I said, like you said, you know, everyone has their insecurities, of course, you know, we all do, but it becomes body dysmorphia when it comes to that fixated um, situation. 
Do you happen to know some of the, you know, insecurities people with body dysmorphia might have? Like what exactly become fixated yes, on with Yes, there themselves? are common themes with this disorder. So a lot of the excessive focus can include a person's face, different things such as my nose is too big. And the, objectively their nose is fine, but they see it as enormous their complexion so maybe their complexion isn't wrinkle free or smooth but it doesn't look as bad as they think it does they may focus on their wrinkles or acne or other imperfections in the skin hair is another one thinning hair baldness some people can have body dysmorphia focused on those things also for men muscle size and tone can be a big focus of dys body dysmorphia so different different areas of the body, uh, those are some of the common themes. Right, and like you said, bringing up the men, not a lot of people, when we think of the mental health community, we don't really necessarily think of men. We usually think of women going through things. And obviously this goes to show, you know, everyone is affected by mental health in some way, shape, or form, breaking that stereotype that men don't have mental health right. uh, issues. What are some of the most telltale signs for someone who might be struggling with body dysmorphia and they don't even know that they are? Like I said, you know, we have our insecurities, but at what extent does that it turn into something So at more? the extreme, it might be someone who seeks out numerous cosmetic procedures that are focused on fixing this perceived flaw. That might be one repetitive behaviors that cause distress so you know focusing on how do i get my sorry to be crude but how do i get my butt to not look like this i'm trying on all different clothes to make sure that you can camouflage what you see as a flaw so essentially it, it really comes back to how much time is a person spending focused on their physical appearance and in particular, one part of their body or two parts of their body. Another is asking for um, a lot of reassurance. Does my, you know, does, does my skin look too wrinkled right now? And how does it look when I do this? And I just started to use this new product. Do you see a difference? So someone who's just really excessively looking for that reassurance that they look better, that there's something different now because they're trying something different to to change their body in some way. And what do you think is the biggest cause of body dysmorphia? Some say social media, um, some say peer pressure. What do you feel is the biggest contribution to someone who has body so, dysmorphia? When you look at research, there's really not any one cause for body dysmorphia, but I would say that there definitely are experiences that people have and things in our society that can contribute to it. And one of those, I think, is this pressure that we have for everyone to be perfect. And with social media, that's been made even more prominent. And there are so many apps out there where you can airbrush yourself and change your body. And what we see online isn't real, but I think people perceive it as real and we never will measure up to what we see online. Some folks think that they have to measure up to what they see online. So I see, I see the internet as something that can be incredibly helpful in so many ways, 
but I also see it as something that can really harm us if we're not mindful of the fact that what we're looking at is not real. Social media has changed so much over time. It has its good times and its bad times, and this is definitely, I think, something that revolves around the bad times. So you know, now that we have a better understanding of the mental health community, um, what can Westchester University do to help students on campus who are struggling? I with think that issues? Westchester does a really wonderful job of making services accessible. I know that the Counseling Center, Counseling and Psychological Services, which is on campus, and the phone number there is 436-2301. Uh, they have a website too, so search them there. But they uh, have trainings, not just for students, but for faculty and staff to identify students who may be in need of mental health services. So they're very active in trying to make sure that they're targeting folks who need their help. And they have a lot of professionals on staff there who are licensed psychologists who can help people. So I think they're probably the best resource on campus for students. And I would encourage anyone who's struggling or knows someone who's struggling to contact them. So there, there also are resources in the community, but those are resources that students will probably have to pay for or use their insurance. So the, the counseling center is a, a great option. I know you said there are outside resources that students probably have to pay mm -hmm. for. You know, a student doesn't feel comfortable with the university and they do have the option to pay for it. What are some outside resources yeah. you would recommend these individuals, you know, when it you know comes check to out? Therapy, I think that there are two things that people need to be thoughtful about when choosing a therapist. The first is, do they have the training and specialization in the area that is of concern to you? So for example, if someone presents with body dysmorphia or an eating disorder or addiction issues, you wanna find a therapist who has specific training in that area. Because if you go to someone who doesn't know how to treat eating disorders, they're not really gonna be able to help you in the way that you might want. So that's number one. What's their training and education? Number two, and this might be even more important, and that is, do you feel a connection with your therapist? Do you feel like you can trust this person? Do you feel like they care about you professionally? And so having someone that you feel comfortable talking to, that you trust, is the most important factor. And so you can seek out a variety of therapists. There are a lot of resources in Chester County. You could do a, a Google search. You can also look on the Psychology Today website and search for providers there. Another thing to do is to ask for recommendations. If your family doctor, someone that you see regularly, ask your doctor, who can you recommend in the area? If you know of friends or family who've seen therapists and you're comfortable, ask them, who would you recommend? Did you like your therapist? Do you think I could work with them? But the most important thing is that connection and trust. So you may have to see a few people before you find the right therapist. Natalie, you know, what advice do you have for students or individuals listening to this podcast? I think that the thing that I would want to say is there's help out there. And the biggest step is reaching out for it. So just know that ask for help, 
keep asking for help because there is effective treatment for mental health issues and having the proper treatment can make a huge difference in in your life and uh, i would just say don't let anything stop you from asking for help really really great advice well that's a wrap for today's episode of the mental health check thank you again dr polk for joining us today as our guest speaker and sharing your knowledge thank you for having me community with us and thank you everyone for listening in remember you are loved and appreciated so take some time to take care of you.